You are listening to Written in the Stars, Books and Beyond, where hosts from the LCC Library sit down with writers, publishers, entrepreneurs, and literary enthusiasts of all types. Join your hosts, Amy Ewald, Robin Moore, John Salaji, and Abby Tebow as we explore the very heart of the written word. Welcome to Written in the Stars, Books and Beyond. I'm Robin Moore, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Salaiji. Today, we have the pleasure of hosting author Dr. Jennifer Wimbish, who will be discussing her book, Leadership Wisdom for All Generations. Leadership Wisdom for All Generations invites us on a transformative journey, offering, offering valuable leadership principles and reflective practices that can be life-changing. Dr. Wimbush shares profound insights drawn from her personal experience and wisdom she has gleaned from remarkable leaders who have left a lasting impact on her life. Among the leaders mentioned is former LCC President Abel Seitz. Welcome, Dr. Wimbush. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So my first question for you is kind of about the structure of your book. At the beginning, you recommend different chapters for different audiences. For example, you su suggest youth or students read chapters one through four. What made you structure your book this way? Well, in the beginning, I'm talking about things that shaped my character. And so often college students and high school students uh, are most interested in those pieces where experienced leaders are more interested in things like how do you create shared missions for organizations to work together? So there are some that I'd suggest everyone read and then some for the different populations. I do one for women. Mm -hmm. How do you advance your career and not lose your child and your husband? You mentioned the first chapters have a lot of experiences from your youth and your teen years. Uh, what were some of the things that really stood out to you from, from those years that you would recommend to young folks who are aspiring leaders? Well, the, the big thing I was taught was always to be excellent and to do your best every day because every day counts. Uh, and so that's extremely important. Uh, and I share the story that, hey, if a doctor had to deliver 100 babies and drop 10, that wouldn't be good. And so that was a very, very important piece. And then the whole notion of telling the truth, mm. even when it's difficult, and especially when you're young, to try a lot of things to see what you like so that by the time you get through high school, you have some sense of what you want your career to be. Dr. Wimbush, you should have kind of hit on this question. How does this book cross generational divides and how can it help today's college student? Well, the things that are in the book, all leaders need. So everyone needs to understand how to communicate and how to talk to people when you're planning a project for them. So it crosses across all generations in that anybody leading needs to know those basic principles. And then if you are a very experienced leader, then especially in the second edition, I talk about more complex issues. How do you lead a thousand organizations as compared to the five to eight I grew up with? 
That, that's complex. And so what things do you need to know about that? I'm glad you lifted that about experienced leaders, because that was going to be my next question. How can this book benefit or help out um, experienced leaders? So thank you for lifting that. Well, you know, often people don't know what they don't know. Mm. And so especially when I talk about that, the hardest thing for a leader to do is to communicate the vision so everybody can hear, see, feel, touch, and move with it. People don't think about that. So even experienced leaders to know that. But then as we move on and I talk about things around um, how do you create uh, a vision that's simple so that people know what it means, Uh, the whole notion of How do you establish a network? Everything is about relationships. So when you're an experienced leader, you have to have a political agenda. You have to have an economic agenda. You have to have a social justice agenda. You have to have a money agenda. So how do you make sure you know influencers that will help you with anything you want to do? So sure, young leaders need to know that. But as you become more experienced, It's things like that that I share uh, and hone in on that's very important. You mentioned, especially for young leaders, the importance of building networks. What are some good ways for young leaders to build networks? Well, you know, as a young person, I say, and I was taught, first you need to hang around with great people. So you need to know uh, what you want to do and then connect there. But we just teach simply that when you go into an organization or somewhere, say, who are the 10 people here that makes things happen? It's that simple. And then you get to know those individuals, you interview them, and then you say, especially when you're new in an organization, this is what I want to do. Can you help me with that? Do you have suggestions about that? And usually then they are giving you good ideas. You raise the idea up and they're committed to helping you. So it's just asking people who makes things happen. You were talking about a little bit there and you talk about a lot in your book, mentoring relationships. And I know that one of the people you talk about in the book is Dr. Sykes. Yes. Um, And for our listeners, who may not know, we are actually in the building named for Dr. Sykes right now, the Abel Sykes uh, Technology and Learning Center. And so could you tell us a little bit about working with Dr. Sykes and what Dr. Sykes was able to teach you? Yes, Dr. Sykes was a great leader and he understood relationships. He also understood the importance of continuous improvement, that when you're doing something, You have to look at the impact of that on different individuals. He also understood that when you're doing something, you have to be close to the people. Uh, I always give the example, uh, you're working on uh, housing and you decide by yourself what kind of houses people need. And so he was very much into that and we were organized so that We all had to have relationships with the city. Back then, there were eight cities, and we all had relationships. And uh, I think I had Howell, for example. Mm. So I needed to know everything about Howell. And so I was the point person for Howell. So the community knew they could reach 
out to me and I could get a message to him and I would work with them. So that was important. But the thing that I remember the most is Dr. Sykes taught me the importance of the five whys and that leaders asked good questions. So whenever you went in to talk to him, he would say, why, why, why? By the time you get to the fifth why, you understand what's going on. So that was the thing that I most learned from him. The leader asked great questions. You don't have to know everything, but you have to ask great questions. When it comes to asking questions, especially from a leadership to try and gain more uh, knowledge, what are some examples of good questions? You say, you know, ask why questions. Mm. What are examples of good questions, way to draw out information? Well, you know, need? the basic foundational one is, tell me about the purpose mm -hmm. of this project. Yeah. Why are you doing it? Who are the people you want to impact? What do you know about those people? Tell me what the data says. Mm -hmm. Data, data. <laughs> tell me what the information says. You know, yeah. you're a teacher. Tell me what the information says. Who's doing well? Who's not doing well? And so always, always those questions about research mm -hmm. and best practices and what do the people want? Those are always good questions. I'm so glad that you, you shared that, the why. It is extremely important. Um, there's a chapter when you realize you wanted to have a lifetime career in a community college. What makes community colleges so special and important to you, Dr. Wimber? Well, I've always been interested in helping students. Mm. And so sometimes research institutions are focused on research. And while I like that, I have always been interested in helping students. So the whole notion, there, there's not a community college in this country that can't take a student from an eighth grade reading level. Many of the students come to us at that and then take them to a 14th grade reading level. So the whole notion of helping students develop, to get clear about their purpose, and to excel, we do that so well. So that's what's exciting to me about the community college. So when did you find out, this is what I wanted to do, this helping? I, I'm hearing the word help. When did you find out in your life that, hey, I want to help students. I, this is what I want to do. Well, you know, I grew up in a town that mm -hmm. believed that it takes a village to be a good community. Mm -hmm. So we just grew up knowing that if there, someone had a fire, mm -hmm. people were going to do that. And so as I moved to college, I think at Hampton University, I learned that I liked helping People. We had a program for veterans. We'd go to the veteran hospital. Uh, and veterans who didn't have any family, we would talk to them. And it was at that moment I knew that. But it wasn't until I was much older. You know, I talk about in the book, you ought to write a purpose statement for your life, have strategic plans, goals, and objectives. What are my goals for my family? What are my goals for my career? That is very difficult. And so I share with people, there are all kinds of instruments that help you with that. So it was much later that I understood it at a very complex level. I noticed also in your book that, uh, speaking of creating a purpose statement for 
an individual, you have some tools in the back of the book that can do that. Can you kind of explain how people can use those tools? Well, you know, in the book, I say simply go through and pick one to three things that you, uh, it resonated with you and that you're going to integrate into your life daily, weekly. Then I say, and think about one thing that you would leave as a legacy that you want to tell other people as we keep the conversation going. And so often people need, uh, I have 12 things that I got from the book. What are the three that most would impact me? And how do I have a plan to do that one to two things ongoing? You've talked a little bit, and Robin asked you about um, helping students and how important that was for you. Um, but in the book, you also talk a lot about helping faculty, employees, everyone else who is at the college as well, especially as a leader, and really the idea of servant leadership. Mm -hmm. could, you, could you talk a little bit about that? Well, first thing, I think there are no big eyes and little U's. We all bleed blood, mm -hmm. so we're all the same. And so I have a philosophy of leading by walking around. Mm -hmm. And so I give everyone, uh, I used to every Thursday at 3 o'clock, anybody could come in and talk to me about anything. Mm -hmm. And so I learned their dreams uh, for the college, mm -hmm. and we could integrate those in. So it's important to me for everybody to feel like they are a part of the action. They are a part of the work I talk about, and people are always surprised uh, that I used to uh, do line dancing every, uh, maybe it was Tuesday from three to four. And so students would come and they were surprised that I could dance. Uh, <laughs> and then I used to do with the cheerleaders sometimes uh, something at uh, the basketball games. And uh, so it makes then the leader human and it makes people comfortable in saying the good, the bad, the ugly. Now, sometimes I have to say, uh, if people are going to talk about their supervisor, now, you know the rule is you should never tell me anything that your supervisor doesn't already know. So every now and then I have to say, well, have you told your supervisor yeah. that? And so that it becomes we know one another, but there, there's order to how we work together. So you were talking about how much you enjoy dancing, <laughs> and you might notice that I am dressed a little unusually today. Why I bring that up is with dancing, with dressing in my leader hosen, um, the idea of you need to have fun as a leader, too, and you need to be able to kind of show off that fun. Were there other ways that you were able to have fun and help build morale with the teams that you led? Well, you know, I also talk about balance. Yes. Yeah. If you are so tired that you are grumpy all the time and mm. you can't think, uh, that's not a good thing. So the whole notion of being balanced and taking some time away from things. But then working so that 
people are rewarded based mm-hmm. on their reward system. I said when I went to Cedar Valley mm-hmm. and I said to people, what do you most want? And people said, we want you to give us a birthday card <laughs> on our birthday. Uh, but when I was here at uh, LCC, I always, for those things we were trying to do, online instruction, is I put money out there and said, oh, here is $30,000. Who's going to come to do the Mm -hmm. things we want to do and get this money? And uh, uh, one of the people who worked with me uh, remembered that I charged them week after we created the student services building, the library building. I said, now go tell the world about it. And I'm going to give you money to go to all of the big conferences mm. to present on it. So, you know, that's sort of fun. You're going out of state. But then it allows for us to have a story. And they did that so well that people start coming from all over the nation. Let me see your student services building. Let me see your library building. Well, that's also good for the administration. But you have to know what it is the people want and then you have to have reward systems. So when they get that one more thing in Cedar Valley, people wanted me to teach a class. Mm-hmm. And so I taught a leadership class. And so, boy, people would look, I'm in Dr. Wimbish's leadership class. Uh, so you have to know what's exciting to people and you have to be willing to do those things. And, and, I'm, and I, I'm glad you shared about balance because I was going to ask you about that. You talk about... Um, you talk about the need of leaders to find workplace and life balance. And I was curious, what are some ways besides dancing <laughs> that you find balance? Well, uh, the first thing is I have Sunday. I don't look at, te- I don't look at the technology. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that can sort of. But if people know your standards where mm. you're working, uh, and so I say, look, guys, don't y'all email me on Sunday. I need some time to rest. So you have to have time away from the technology and you have to plan time for your family. Mm-hmm. And when you can integrate those things, it's great. For example, my son at 12 had to learn racquetball because racquetball was my exercise and it was my time to check him out to see what was going on in his life. And so you have to have time. I had my mother just passed uh, at 96. Mm -hmm. So I had to have time with her, had to have time with my husband, had to have time for me to dance and to pull it all together in some way that gives you freedom also Mm -hmm. to be who you are. So you have to sit down. You know, it used to be time management. Now they call it self-management. And what can you give away that you don't have to do? One more thing. Young women now, y'all don't have to go buy your groceries if you don't want to. You don't have to cook if you don't want to. So give away things that add no value. Wow. Give away things that add no No value. value. What about at work? How do you find that balance at work when you've got people pulling from you, people pulling from you in all directions? How do you do that? Well, first thing is, and people struggle with this, I say every leader should work at home one day a month. And boy, you know, people struggle with that. And then I learned from great leaders, one day a week have catch up time. So one day, take three to four hours and have catch-up time. Now, if something urgent happens, 
you've got to deal with that. But if people know the deal, uh, my husband and I commuted for when I was here for 10 years. And so people knew my husband is here on Friday. Could we try not for me to have speaking engagements on Friday? And people adjust to that. Uh, And so people also need to know what your world looks like. Mm -hmm. My friends know that I'm looking at HGTV on Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. So um, your book, um, Leadership Wisdom for All Generations, the, the second edition is out now. What did you add to the second edition? Well, the second edition was after we had been through COVID. Uh, the January 6th, uh, we all saw George Floyd killed on TV. And I said in 2022, there were 600 mass murders. Mm. And so I then decided to work with organizations that were impacting some huge issue. I say, for example, there were 27 million people uninsured before COVID. There were 140 million people who were one step away from being homeless before COVID. So now how do you lead? And that gets you to the thousand leading a thousand. So I talk about one in retirement. How does an old lady figure out what she's going to focus on? How do you bring this thousand organizations together around a common purpose? How do you infuse equity into an organization? How do you create intergenerational organizations? So when I leave, the young people know everything I know. And how do we work together to sustain organizations? And then I think I end with balance. Uh, how do you get old? Uh, and people like for me to say mature. I'm just old. How do you get old? And how do you do it where you have balance, Mm. where you're excited about what you want to do, and you live true to your purpose. Mm. Oh, (laughs) I love this interview. Thank you so much. Um, Is there anything else that, obviously, second edition is out, is there anything else you're working on right now that you would like to share with us? Well, I'm working on housing Mm. uh, for the homeless, especially veterans. Mm -hmm. Uh, My consulting area is strategic planning. I love strategic planning. So people call me in to talk about that. But my heart is, how could people fight Mm -hmm. for this country and be homeless? And so uh, I'm working on that in my hometown and in Dallas because I line up things so that I can learn about them. And so that work requires charting the problem, Mm -hmm. bringing lots of organizations together. Let me just say quickly, you got to have LULAC at the table. You have to have Native American and Asian groups at the table. Mm -hmm. You have to have the money people. You have to have the people that are going to make the laws to change it. And so I'm enjoying that work. Even sometimes I'm just like, oh, how did we get to this place? So that's the space I'm working in right now. Wow. Dr. Wimbush, this book leaves a legacy of insight from leaders that are meant to be passed on unto the next generation. I want to personally, we want to personally thank you for being our guest today, Dr. Wimbush. You can find 
Dr. Wimbush's book, Leadership, Wisdom, and Our Generations on Amazon. We would like to thank yeah. you for today's Th- interview. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. And uh, it was our honor to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Have fun. You have been listening to Written in the Stars, Books and Beyond. Visit lcc.edu library to find the titles discussed in this episode. You can find previous episodes of Written in the Stars and other LCC Connect shows at lccconnect.com. In the words of Miguel de Unamuno, I hope, reader, we shall meet again and we shall recognize each other. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The Lansing Community College Massage Clinic is open to the public and provides an opportunity for the students of the massage program to gain valuable client experience. Relaxation massages and therapeutic massages are both available at a nominal fee. Visit lcc.edu massage for more information. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. On the success scenario, we meet and hear from current LCC students who face adversity, why they chose LCC, and how they turn their situation into a successful one. Definitely now after second semester, my self-confidence is up there. I can do this and I can do this well. Age has nothing to do with it. Like I told you before, I have the I have notes from that first meeting and it was take your age out of it. You deserve to be here. You belong here. I'm Dustin Abrego. The Success Scenario is a program dedicated to inspiring students towards a path of success. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime online at lccconnect.org. The Job Training Center at Lansing Community College provides two-month job training opportunities that are free to eligible participants. Training courses range from information technology to administrative assisting. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash JTC training. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. 
Hey, y'all, and welcome to another episode of It's Britney B Podcast, a show where you and I go on a journey and break down subjects that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even want to be a part of. I'm your host, Brittany, and if y'all are ready, let's sit back, relax, and let's chat. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Cinderella and how she really created her own happily ever after. Now we all know Cinderella, right? And I'm talking about the Disney adaptation. But if you've been living under a rock, I'll just give you a brief summary. Cinderella is about this girl who lives with her stepmom and two stepsisters. And she pretty much is a slave in her home. And by her home, I mean her daddy's home. But we'll get in depth later. She pretty much is a slave and has to do everything her stepmom and her stepsisters want. But she's a very nice girl. The animals are her friend. They help her out and all that type of stuff. But the scene that this brings us in in the story is a ball. A ball is coming. And it's for this prince. And this prince wants some type of girl. But he wants to meet every eligible maiden. Cinderella gets excited. She's an eligible maiden. She finally gets to leave the house. She ends up getting a fairy godmother. She finds the prince. There's a glass slipper. There's a lot that happens. But... Overall, the point that I'm getting at is the moral to the story. I think we've missed it, you guys. I really think we have missed it. And I say that because Cinderella got pulled into this princess trope of being like, oh my goodness, this man came and saved her life. And you don't need a man to help you feel like he can make you a happily ever after. You should be able to do it yourself. Well, I kind of think Cinderella did that. I think we really are missing that you know what, maybe instead of a man making her life better, maybe it was her this whole entire time. Bottom line is I'm just basically saying Cinderella was a nice person. And maybe given her circumstances, being a nice person through the whole time made her get the prince in the happily ever after. I mean, think about it. When the story starts, there's this old lady who's narrating the beginning, talking about Cinderella's life. She already lost her mom because, God forbid, Disney lets any character have their mother in their life. Then after that, she's growing up with her dad. Her dad's there. Great dude. He wants to find a lady, takes care of Cinderella, treats her great. She's living a great life. And then dad's thinking, hmm, I want a life companion and I want my daughter to have a mom. So he meets this lady who has two daughters. How perfect is that? They live great and fine. But of course, all good things have to come to an end because dad dies. Dad dies. Cinderella is now basically an orphan, but she's living with stepmom and two sisters. Now, I don't know if they mentioned whether or not the stepmom or the stepsisters were nice while the dad was alive. But if they were, they totally flipped the script because Cinderella ended up being a servant in her own home, you guys. In her own dad's home, she is a servant. She's not living the little cute life anymore. She's living in some little dusty room with all these animals that are not her friends because she can't leave society and explore it. But you know what, you guys? Through all of that, through all of that, she is a good person. She's nice. You see it in the movie. She wakes up, she's singing. The animals are doing her hair and helping her shower and bathe and get things done. She's a good person. I don't think a bad person would have animals helping her out like that. But that's not the point I'm getting at. So far, we see she's a great kid. Now we get brought into her interacting with her stepsisters and her stepmom. 
We know the vibes off. They have this dark aura. It's scary. The mom's cat's name, Lucifer. We get it. They're not good people. But Cinderella still does what they want her to do. They're rude to her. They belittle her. She still gets it done. She has her little cute jokes there, but she never says it to their face. She's a good person still. Then the ball comes. Now Cinderella gets to actually leave the house because it's said that all eligible maidens are to attend. So she's thinking, bet, I get a day off for once. She's not worried about trying to find a prince. She's just excited that she gets to leave the house and wear something nice other than the rags she has. Meanwhile, Tweedledee and Tweedledum are all excited because they think they have a chance to get this dude, and so does their evil mother. So Cinderella, again, super excited. But stepmom was like, you can go, but you got to get your stuff done. Oh, and did you bet your sweet butt? She definitely made sure she got that stuff done. And she even had her dress made herself with help with her little animals. We saw the cute little music bit. She comes downstairs because it's time to go to the ball. Then all of a sudden, stepsisters and stepmom rip her to shreds. They abuse her. Just like they said in the beginning of the show, they abused her. Cinderella was abused and forced to be a slave in her own home. She was abused right on that scene. And for me, I guess I never really realized it was abused. I just figured like these girls are haters and they're just ripping her dress off. But I guess, yeah, psychologically, they messed her mind up. And this was her breakdown moment. This was her rock bottom. She's living life terribly. She has nobody. She's been being positive this whole time. She feels like it hasn't made a difference. So all of a sudden, as she's crying and saying it, there's no use. Sparkly dust come from the sky. And this fairy godmother lady pops up. And she's like, sweet child, I got you. You're fine. Now, in a Disney movie, of course, it's going to be princess related. So it's going to be fairy and magical. If I'm aiming more towards a moral than I'm trying to prove to you guys in this situation... The fairy godmother is more, I guess, a metaphor. Maybe it's Cinderella's hope that she's always had. Just kind of like how Pandora's box is. You open the box and all this evil and terribleness comes out. But then at the end, you see hope. That's how I'm viewing this fairy godmother. She's that hope. And she gets Cinderella that courage to go. I'm going to get you dressed up. I'm going to turn your mice into horse and your horse into a carriageman and the pumpkin into a carriage. And I'm going to get you all nice. But because I'm giving all this to you, because I do think you deserve it because you work hard and you are a kind girl. You got to be home by midnight, girl. And she's like, okay, I'll do it. I get to go out. Fine. She gets that courage. Bippity boppity boo. And she went. She goes to the castle. And she gets all prettied out right into that castle, the castle that's at Disney World or Disneyland, depending which one you went to. And she finally sees this dude and he dances with her all night. She's having such a great time. And then midnight hits. Homegirl's got to go home. A, because she has till midnight unless everything flips back. B, because she also has to beat her stepsisters and her mom home. So she does. The prince which she didn't know that's who it was at the time. Spoiler alert. The prince didn't want her to leave, but she didn't know that that was the prince. So she's like, oh, I'm sorry. No, I got to go. Um, I don't know. I got to meet the prince. And the dude's like, wait, what? It's like, but I'm the prince. She didn't hear that. Ran, lost her slipper, went home. Next day, she's in La La Land. Now, the stepmom already suspected, because she did kind of see her, what she thought at this ball. 
So the next day, Cinderella's all in La La Land, happy reminiscing of the night. Stepmom finds out, tricks Cinderella into some little bit, and locks her in her room. Because that same day or that morning, they heard that the prince was looking for some girl who lost her glass slipper. And again, most of us know Cinderella lost her glass slipper. Yeah, okay. Did you guys also know that Cinderella also had the other glass slipper in her pocket as a memory? Now I'm getting sidetracked. Basically, Cinderella got totally abused. She was a good person the whole time. The godmother came, which is more of the hope or the positivity that I think Cinderella had projected the whole time. And that led her to go to the ball. She comes home. She still gets the abuse. Stepmom locks Cinderella up in the tower or in her room. While the prince is searching around everybody's house trying to have every single maiden try on these shoes. Cinderella, still nice, still positive, had the hope, had the help to get free. Meets the prince because they're at the stepmom's house. Finally trying on the stepsister's feet, which we all know didn't fit. And once Cinderella came downstairs, how convenient, the stepmom breaks the shoe. But Cinderella, bam, pops out with another one. The whole point of the story that I got from this, because we already know, happily ever after, she tries on the shoe, she goes with the prince, they live happily ever after. The point of the matter that I'm trying to show from this story is Cinderella wasn't a damsel in distress. And no man saved her. She didn't have to change who she was as a person. She was just nice and kind. She did what she was supposed to do, but she never gave up. She never gave up that kindness. Granted, she was in the same position she was in for a good portion of time in her life, but she never changed who she was. Because when people go through things, sometimes it makes you bitter, makes you into a mean person. That didn't happen with her. So since that didn't happen, good things ended up coming. She was good. She was able to go to the ball, even after her dress was completely destroyed, even after living in such a terrible, terrible household. She comes home. She thinks she's right there about to have the shoe on for the prince, and it breaks. But she had the other one. Good things happen. So the moral to Cinderella, you guys, is just be a good person no matter the circumstances. Life is hard. Life can get hard. But good things can only happen if you remain a good person, not just to others, but also to yourself. Being a nicer person, do good things, good things happen. I think it's that simple. But obviously in today's world where it's so complex, it ends up kind of hiding beneath the bushes to where we can't see it so much. But that's just my thought on Cinderella. All right, you guys, thanks for sitting and listening. It's been a pleasure talking with you on It's Brittany B, a show where you and I go on a journey and break down topics that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even want to be a part of. I'm your host, Brittany, and I want to thank Dedalian for producing today's episode. And a thought for today, life gives us lessons every day, not for learning, but also improving our understanding. Don't forget to stay tuned for new episodes and to stay up to date with the latest episodes, go to lccconnect.org. Get it? Got it? Done. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that help to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. 
To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The LCC Library empowers the Lansing community to learn, teach, and discover. Located on the second and third floors of the Technology and Learning Center at the corner of Capitol and Shiawassee on LCC's downtown campus, the LCC Library's ambient spaces are available to the public for work, study, or quiet personal projects. In addition, those with memberships at collaborating libraries are free to check out materials from the LCC Library's collections. For more information, visit lcc.edu library. High school sports don't just happen. There's a ton of work that goes into every single athletic event. And we have our school's athletic director to thank for a lot of it. Thank you. For scheduling officials so I can always play the game I love. For ordering quality athletic equipment so I can stay safe on the field. For mentoring my coaches so they can be the best role models for me. For coordinating transportation so I can get focused for the big game for helping us develop character and learn lessons that will benefit us for the rest of our lives. Thank you to our AD for always creating a positive experience for us. We'll never forget it. From all of us at the NIAAA, thank you to every athletic administrator in Michigan for all you do to enrich the lives of your students. It does not go unnoticed. This message presented by the NIAAA, the National Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, I'm Lisa Alexander, and I host a show called Who's That Star on LCC Connect. This show is all about an inside look at the LCC community where you get a chance to meet our faculty and staff, plus learn about their passion projects at work and at home. You can catch Who's That Star here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. By utilizing interactive activities, the Youth Summer Camp at LCC gives kids in grades 2 through 12 the chance to explore science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Scholarship opportunities are available. Details can be found at lcc.edu slash seriousfun. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. We but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found within us. If we change ourselves, the tendencies in the world will also change. This paraphrased quote from Mahatma Gandhi is the basis of the program you are about to hear. I'm Dedalian, and this is Shining Stars, a program dedicated to searching out and bringing attention to individuals and organizations that are fostering positive change within our community and within our world. And joining me today on Shining Stars is Marie Armstrong. Uh, Marie is the Events and Outreach Coordinator for Ellie's Place here in Lansing. 
Ellie's Place serves a very unique role in the community as a healing center for grieving children and their families. Welcome to Shining Stars, Marie. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am excellent as well. I, you know, I can only imagine as I get to thinking about this, I can only imagine that uh, anybody that's involved with Ellie's Place, uh, you've got to experience a certain amount of reward, of course, but you've also got to, um, there's a lot of tragic stories that come with it. And as a result, that's got to weigh heavy on your heart from time to time. But in order for us to maintain health and well-being, of course, you, you got to be able to find that joy in life. And so one of the things that I want to find out right off the bat is what do you find on a personal level? What is it that brings you joy and brings light into your life? Well, first would definitely be my kids. I am a mom of three and they definitely keep me active. We're constantly on the move uh, and some days maybe not as much joy. Um, But overall, (laughs) I... You know, definitely they're they're part of what drives me to to get up in the morning and go about my day. And uh, we just enjoy each other and and our family time. Uh, My husband and I are, I guess you could call us fixers. We enjoy doing projects around the house. So for me, having a project and seeing that through from start to finish and, and having that start and then that end product, that definitely makes my heart warm. Well, those kids, I mean, that, that's got to kind of connect with what you do as well there at uh, Ellie's Place. Um, three of them, what, what's the oldest to youngest? Yes. Or youngest so, to oldest, I guess it'd be either way. Yes, I have uh, one in high school uh, who's 14, and then I have a middle schooler who's 12, and then I also have a nine-year-old. Uh-huh. So we are running from place to place. Uh, I'm currently a taxi driver, I think is my second job, <laughs> but it's all good. Well, I, I, uh, I'm the middle child of three, so I'm, I, make sure you give that one some extra love and attention because right. they need it. They, she does. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and we, a lot of the times I talk about po- positive change on this show, and I find that everybody kind of has a different viewpoint of what positive change is. What, what would it mean to you? To me, when I initially think positive change in my head, it's there's so many different levels. Are you looking to make a positive change in your personal life? Are you looking to make and see positive changes in your community as a, as a whole? Uh, so I think in, when you define what that is for yourself, to me, it's making those little changes every day. So mm-hmm. knowing that I want to see a positive change in the community. Um, partly that's why I do what I do. Uh, and it's just really striving and, and making those those little adjustments day to day to, uh, I would say, see that final goal of what that positive change is that, that you would like to have. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. And and I've also found that uh, a lot of the times the viewpoint the, uh, of, of how people see positive change usually has something to do with uh, either somebody that's connected with them in their life. Uh, is there anybody or anything in particular in your life that uh, you feel has had kind of a, a helpful perspective on your your any positive outlook that you have? I, I think I've just been very fortunate to have a lot of support in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as everyone has their ups and downs and sometimes finding that positive ground isn't always easy. Would and you consider yourself to be a positive person? 
I think naturally, I unfortunately, I don't lean towards the positive. It's understandable. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I, as I've gotten older, it's something that I've had to work towards. Uh, and my natural reaction at times isn't always to see the positive. So for me, it is a continual daily occurrence to be grateful and find the mm-hmm. good uh, and make not only those positive changes in, in my own self, but uh, in order to kind of put out in the world my best self and, and then see some of the positive uh, change in the community. All those kids have got to be helpful, giving you that positive attitude, right? Yes, <laughs> Other than definitely. They're driving you crazy. <laughs> one of the two, 50-50. <laughs> um, yeah, I, and that is the thing. I, you, a lot of the times when I talk about positive uh, viewpoints or anything else, uh, one of the one of the things about me is that I don't consider myself a naturally positive person. I wasn't necessarily not raised that way, but it wasn't a huge thing thing. And it seems to be a predominant um, viewpoint of everybody uh, where it's it's a very conscious effort. And I, I admire those people who just seem to automatically have that. Yes. I'm positive. I'm good to go. But uh, yeah, it, it, it takes us all. I think it takes most everybody some uh, conscious effort to actually make that happen. Uh, but speaking of conscious effort, of course, Ellie's Place. Uh, how exactly did Ellie's Place? Actually, first, why, why don't we start with um, giving our listeners a better understanding of what the role of Ellie's Place is here in Lansing. Sure. Uh, Ellie's Place is a grief support center for grieving children and teens and their families. Uh, and we actually just celebrated our 30-year anniversary last year. Mm. So we have been in the Capital Region community uh, providing grief support services to families for over 30 years now and have served over 31,000 individuals in this area. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, yes. So uh, the Lansing location is not the only one, though, right? Correct. Uh, correct. It was, which one was the first? If you don't Capital region, yes. The okay, Lansing, was. Lansing was the first in 1991. Uh, and then we also have branches in Ann Arbor, Grand Rapids, and Flint. Uh, can you give me a little bit of a backstory as to how Ellie's Place came about? Yes, Ellie's Place uh, started by grieving parents. Uh, Betsy and Woody Stover were grieving the loss of their 11-month-old daughter, Ellie. And what they were grappling with, not only their grief, but Mm -hmm. the grief of their children. And so they were looking for resources and not finding any. And so that is is where Ellie's Place was born, was through the efforts of the Stovers and connecting with uh, Junior League of Lansing and uh, other community partners to uh, found this great organization. How exactly does it work? I mean, I, I know I'm sure each case is different. Um, what, what exactly is the ways that uh, you're helping these children kind of get, get through the, the emotional discomfort it's a terrible way to put it but it's it's appropriate sure well and I think most importantly too what I want to make sure people understand is that Ellie's Place is free to families Mm. Uh, there is no cost 
to anyone that attends Ellie's Place due to, you know, very generous donors and sponsors. And uh, families, you know, that come, they they attend group. Currently, things look a little different post-COVID. We have been providing our peer-to-peer support groups uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evening in our building, and then also remaining one virtual night on Thursdays. Uh, we have been doing every other week since the return in the fall. Mm-hmm. During COVID, it was strictly virtual. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're slowly making some progress to uh, having families return safely to our building. Uh, and they do. It is, it's peer-to-peer support groups. Uh, so volunteers, uh, we have many wonderful uh, volunteer facilitators uh, that facilitate our support groups. Do you find that most of your volunteers are also people that have gone through the same type of situations then? We do have uh, many people who come back and volunteer that will act, that were actual participants in a support group at one point. Uh, but we have lots of volunteers who uh, who haven't necessarily you know participated in a group. Um, but they've heard about Ellie's Place through a friend or they know someone who's utilized our services and they just want to give back in some way. Is there like a training that's kind of behind the peer-to-peer or the, yes. the volunteerism? Or yes, most definitely. Our group facilitator training is a pretty intensive training uh, since they are going through and, and working directly with our families. Uh, so we have uh, partially Zoom sessions currently. There, there will be a, a portion of the training that's in person, and that's actually taking place in a couple of weeks. Uh, volunteer facilitators have to be uh, at least age 19, mm-hmm. and we do ask for a year commitment, uh, and we do ask them to commit to one evening per week. That's pretty Uh, intensive. So it is, it is intensive. And, you know, for individuals who maybe can't commit to something like that, uh, we use volunteers in many different ways. We have community outreach volunteers who may go and attend an event for Ellie's Place to represent us uh, and provide information. Mm -hmm. We have volunteers who may just come in and volunteer at our office uh, to do tasks there and we also have volunteers who may attend third-party uh, events. Okay. So we have lots of wonderful com- community partners, I would say, who maybe put on a fundraiser that benefits Ellie's Place. And we're always looking to have volunteers who can attend those and, and represent our organization. Okay. Can you help me to understand a little bit more? When you say peer-to-peer, what exactly does that mean and what does that entail? It really provides a opportunity for peers to hear from one another. Um, the support groups, as I said, are facilitated by volunteers, uh, and the volunteers are there to provide guidance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But really, it's that opportunity for peers to support one another in a group setting, Uh, Obviously, with our younger kids, we have preschool, kindergarten groups, lower elementary school, and upper elementary. Uh, You'll see a lot more activity-based with our younger kids. And we also uh, do have what we call Ellie's group. Mm -hmm. And so we have uh, 15 currently uh, schools that we work in. 
And so our bereavement coordinators will go into uh, local junior or middle school or high schools and provide an eight-week session. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's still pretty intense, but but that's that's great. And it's great that you, uh, at least places here for, you know, those folks that need it. As I said earlier, you know, I, I could see where this would be hard at times, but there's got to be so much wonderful, lovingly, just wonderful, rewarding things about your job. What do you, what do you love the most about it? I think for me, it's... Touching a little bit, too, on that positive change in, in the world, I love knowing that what I do supports this amazing organization. Knowing I, that it matters, yeah. Knowing that it matters, knowing that what I'm getting up for every morning is truly making a positive impact in my community. I might uh, not be working directly with our families, but I know what I'm doing is is providing the ability to service uh, individuals that need grief support. Okay. Uh, so if somebody wanted to volunteer, somebody wanted to get involved, or just find out more about uh, Ellie's Place, what, what's the best way to do that? Well, there's a few different ways. I would definitely re- recommend checking out our website, mm-hmm. uh, and you can find us at elliesplace.org. Uh, and also, if you're interested in volunteering or finding out just a little bit more, please feel free to reach out and contact our office. Uh, our phone number is 517-482-1315. Uh, and you can always reach out to me as well at, at you know via my email. Uh, there's lots of different grief resources and things that are located on our website uh, for individuals who maybe aren't necessarily looking to enroll. Uh, maybe they're looking to, you know, help a friend in need or just get information. Uh, we have a wealth of resources there. Excellent, excellent. And we'll uh, we'll repeat the uh, website address uh, again in just a little bit. But first, uh, Marie, are you ready for our conceptual question? I don't know. I think so. Some people find it tough. Some people don't. Um, if you had the ability to snap your fingers and put one single thought in the collective consciousness of the entire human race at the same time, what would that be? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> I... I think for myself and probably a lot of people over these last few years with COVID uh, in just kind of finding our way, um, I would almost pose the, the bigger ideal of, of why are we here and what are we here to do? Uh, because, you know, what, regardless of what you believe in, um, a lot of people have, I think, an, an inner need to figure out, you know, what's my purpose. So you would throw into everybody's brain another question. I would. I would. (laughs) (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. Again, uh, Marie Armstrong from Ellie's Place, the events and outreach coordinator. Um, Once again, give that web address just in case somebody didn't catch it the first time around. It is www.elliesplace.org. Marie, I want to thank you for coming in and being a part of the show. And of course, thank you to Ellie's Place for being a part of our community. Well, thank you. We appreciate uh, you supporting us and the opportunity to come and talk with you today. Excellent. 
Remember, we can all contribute something good to this world, no matter how big or small. A simple smile, a friendly gesture, that's all it takes to expand the power of positivity one inch further. I encourage you to find your shining star within by being the change you want to see. Thanks so much for listening to Shining Stars and, of course, sharing your time with me today. I'm Dedalian, and you can listen to this episode of Shining Stars On Demand, along with other LCC Connect programs at lccconnect.org. This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.